Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hey guys, it's Kayla. I'm so happy you're able to join us today because we are all still so directionally challenged. (laughs) We thought we'd have it all figured out by the time we were in our 30s, but surprise, we don't. And that's okay. What really happens to people? throughout their lives. What is life really like? I mean, there's so much hype out there about what life is supposed to be like. Look at your social media accounts. Look at the millions of advertisements constantly in our faces. So let's talk about real life. And let's talk about happiness. Today, I'm going to sit down with Dr. Robert Wallinger. He is the director of the Harvard Study of Adult Development. His TED Talk is one of the 10 most popular of all time with over 34 million views. His book, The Good Life teaches us how to proactively create happiness for ourselves by focusing on what keeps us healthy. My conversation with him is this and so much more. So without further ado, here is my conversation with Dr. Robert Wallinger. And I am here with Dr. Robert Wallinger. You want me to call you Bob? I will call you Bob. I love that. Thank you. And, you know, we were talking off mic briefly before we started this. And I just wanted you to know how grateful I am that you're here because we're talking about happiness. And that is that is a tall order. It is something that we all strive for. And it's what drives most of our decisions in life. So why does it feel that something so commonly sought after is so uniquely misunderstood? This is where you come in. (laughs) You are 
the director of one of the longest scientific studies of happiness ever conducted. The single study of its kind. And now it's in its 84th year. 85th. <laughs> oh, 85th. Now it's in its 85th year. And all of this and more is included in your book, The Good Life, Lessons from the World's Longest Scientific Study of Happiness. There is so much to discuss. So let's just dive in. You know, most of us have seen your viral TED Talk. It's one of the 10 most popular of all time with over 43 million views. But for those of us listening that have yet to see it, can you take us through the Harvard study of adult development, the experiment that boasts JFK as a participant? Talk to us about what the experiment is exactly and how one even begins to study happiness. Well, the study started as two separate studies that didn't even know about each other. They both started in the year 1938. So I'm the fourth director of this study. And one of the studies in 1938 was a study of Harvard College sophomores, 19-year-olds who were thought by their deans to be fine, upstanding young men. And it was meant to be a study of normal development from adolescence to young adulthood. So, of course, if you want to study normal development, you study all white guys from Harvard. I mean, it is the most politically incorrect sample you could ever have. But we've since expanded and, you know, to wives and kids and lots of gender balance now. But at that time, that's what they were studying. The other study was begun at Harvard Law School, and it was a study of juvenile delinquency. It was a study of boys, middle school boys from not just poor families in Boston in 1938, but families who were so troubled that they were known to like five social service agencies on average for domestic violence, substance abuse, mental illness, lots of family troubles. And their question was, how do some children who are born into such disadvantage, how are they able to stay on good paths, stay out of trouble and develop well? So both studies were about thriving, but one was a very underprivileged group and one was a very privileged group. And so they joined at some point. And I believe you said you were the fourth director. What, what year is it that both studies combined? My predecessor, George Valiant, brought them together in the 1970s. He took a whole bunch of boxes out of basements and said, we're going to study these two groups together. And he had the vision to do that. Mm. And so I would love for you to go into detail about what the experiment entails exactly, how you would have each individual study questions and you would go into their homes, correct? And interview them and ask all these questions. And so many of these individuals kept thinking throughout the years, well, why do you want to study me? What's so fascinating about me? I'm just a normal life. And that is what's fascinating about it. That's exactly what's fascinating. So we did, you know, when, when they started, they did elaborate medical exams, psychological interviews. And then, as you said, went to their homes, talked to their parents, talked to their grandparents, looked at what was being served for dinner and the discipline style in the home. Just so many things, wonderful notes in these files about the, the curtains on the windows. I mean, just everything. And, and then... As these young men grew up, we began to study them. You know, the, the Harvard men were of an age to go to World War II, so we studied their World War II experiences when they came back. And then we started studying the great big 
things about life, mental health, physical health, work-life relationships, year after year after year. And, and not just with questionnaires, we got their medical records. And then eventually we brought new methods online, methods that weren't even imagined when the study started. Like we started drawing blood for DNA and DNA wasn't even a thing in 1938. And putting people into the MRI scanner and watching their brains light up when we show them different kinds of images. I mean, in 1938, they would have thought this was science fiction if we were describing what we're doing now in 2023. So it's very cool. We're kind of a history of science project because we bring, we bring new things online. I can just imagine their faces of all these participants doing these MRI scans and then seeing the development of the experiment. So you have two different experiments, both studying, I guess, essentially happiness or the daily life, correct? And then you combine these two and you found that some that started with an advantage kept the advantage. Some started with the advantage and slowly kind of climbed down the ladder. Others started low and climbed up. And you just saw all of these different people live all of these amazing lives. And you make such a, a fascinating point about how if we look at social media and advertising and after years of studying these individuals, you know, seeing what life is supposed to be like and then also being able to see real life. So what is something that's the most surprising thing that you have found through all of this? You know, many of us believe that fame and wealth and high achievement are what we should go after. But it turns out that that is not at all what makes us happy. That's right. It doesn't make you happy. It doesn't make you unhappy either. It's just different from happiness, right? So if you if you if you aim toward wealth and high achievement and fame, they're not going to be likely to make you happy more of the time, right? So what we did find was that first of all, taking care of your physical health really matters, and that wasn't new, but what was new that we didn't believe at first was that the people who were the happiest, but also the healthiest were people who had the best relationships, the people who were more connected to others, people who had warmer connections. They were less likely to get coronary artery disease. They were less likely to get type two diabetes. They were less likely to have early cognitive decline as they got older. And we didn't believe it because we thought, well, how could that even be? How could relationships get into your body and change it. And so we've been studying that for the last 10 years, and many other groups have been studying it as well. Right. But what's so fascinating is that, you know, you say, technically, I guess we're saying loneliness can kill. And that's crazy because we all know it's important to be connected to family and friends and that it does make us happier. But the physicality of it, the fact that it makes us even healthier, you know, the experience of loneliness can be toxic. And this is so fascinating. And I think you guys took it even a step further. And, you know, it's not the number of friends you have or that you're in a committed relationship because you can be lonely in a marriage, right? Or you can be lonely in friendships. And But it's the quality of these close relationships that matter. So how do we differentiate what is a good, healthy relationship and what isn't? Is this something that you have been able to pinpoint? That's such a broad, huge question. It is. It's a big one. <laughs> mm -hmm. But we have been able to pinpoint a couple of big factors. One is that we think everybody needs at least 
one or two secure connections, secure attachment in my jargon. And what that means is having a sense that there's somebody there who will be there for you when times are really tough. We, we asked our original participants, we said, who could you call in the middle of the night if you were sick or scared? List everybody. And most people could list several people. Some people couldn't list anyone. And some of those people who couldn't list anyone were married. Yeah. So, so what we think is that everybody needs that kind of secure attachment. And then a lot of it has to do with what you want in the relationship. But most of us want to feel like we can be ourselves, right? So we don't want to feel like we have to stifle huge parts of who we are in a relationship. And because when we do that, it's exhausting, it's wearing, it's depleting. And I think that that most of us want to feel like it's mutual, that the other person reciprocates our interest in being known. And so a kind of two-way relationship seems to be important, at least for our closest relationships. Hey guys, we're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back in just a minute. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Since 2013, Bombus has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... 
Alright, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply. If rated PG. And we're back. And so how many years into the study did you finally decide to allow women <laughs> to participate? <laughs> well, when I came on board, which was 20 years ago, the women hadn't participated. So, so I said to my predecessor, George Valiant, I said, I think we need to bring in women. So we did a study of late life marriage because they were everybody was old by then. And when we brought in the women, they, they said to us, it's about time. And, and, you know, they had been there like when we would go to their homes and interview their partners, they'd be serving tea. They'd be, some of them even confessed to us that they filled out some of their husband's questionnaires, which is a, a researcher's nightmare, right? So, <laughs> so anyway, we, we finally got those women included and then we've studied all their children and the children are more than half female. So lots of, lots of women there too. Wow. So... I can't imagine being a child and watching your parent be a part of this really important social experiment and then being able to also partake and keep it going. Well, that's why, you know, over 75% of the kids said yes when we asked them to participate. That's unheard of to have that kind of acceptance rate. But the reason is because they said, oh, yeah, this was really important to my parents. And so it was kind of a family thing. And, and we wanted them to feel like they were part of a really big community right. of science. Right. You know, you're, you have studied relationships for a very long time. And that is why part of why you were brought in to this experiment, correct? Or why it has morphed into what it is today. I would love to talk for a minute about your findings in arguing. I thought this was fascinating. I'm married as well. And so my husband and I definitely argue. You know, you had thought for the longest time that couples that argued we're not the ones that would last. But it turns out that's not the case, correct? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> in fact, we what we did was we brought couples into our lab and we videotaped them talking about the things they commonly argue about. They had to choose their kind of top areas of disagreement. And they would get going, even though they knew they were being videotaped, they would were just off to the races, arguing about whether it was housework or kids or money or whatever. And what we saw was that it wasn't the amount of anger and it wasn't the frequency of the arguments that they reported to us at home. It was whether you could see on the video that even when they were arguing, there was affection there and there was respect there. That the couples that showed each other affection and respect, even when they were angry, were the couples who lasted and the couples who said they were more satisfied in their relationships. I mean, this is good news. Thank you. I'm really happy to hear this because, you know, it's funny. We're My husband and I are 15 years into a relationship, which is a significant amount of time. That's a long time. Not as long as many of the couples that you study. But I believe people ask us all the time, you know, do you argue? Because I do know relationships that do not argue. And I think that that can be an unhealthy way to live because there's so much inside. And so it's important to discuss it, get into it and then get through it. You know, that's a huge part of 
it, or so I think. Go ahead. Well, no, you're absolutely right. And that's really it. It's how do you talk about differences? So there's going to be disagreement and there's going to be difference in every relationship that's of any importance, right? There, there has to be. Two people will never always agree. So then the real question is, how do you talk about it in ways that get you to the other side where you both feel okay, nobody feels like they've been defeated, nobody feels disrespected, but you're okay coming out the other side. That's the key. And whether you do that by arguing or quietly discussing, that it doesn't matter. It's really how you get through disagreements together. Mm-hmm. Wow. And, you know, for those listening who aren't in a romantic relationship, this applies for friendships as well. This applies for those those really, truly deep relationships that we're talking about, the ones you can call in the middle of the night and the people who will be on your short list of fingers that you can just rely on. And honestly, now that we've learned to help you stay healthy, both mentally and physically. And, you know, we are human. We want a quick fix. You write about this, too. And, and it, you know, it turns out that relationships are messy and complicated. And it's the work is never done. It's lifelong work. And that's why it's so hard. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's why that's why we'd rather, you know, get a big salary raise or we'd rather get a prize because that's a one time thing. We can get it and say, OK, I've got it. Whereas with relationships, it's it's ongoing. It's never done. It is. It's such complicated work, but it is so rewarding. But you're right. It is. There's something wonderful about just receiving a prize because then you pat on the back. It's done. You did it. We're over. Okay, great. So does the upkeep of friendship look like? This is something we've talked about on this podcast before. And, you know, we're talking about how relationships require maintenance. I'm applying it to myself and thinking I'm not a very good friend when it comes to communication through the cell phone. I'm a bad texter. I'm calling, talking on the phone. I just want to be with the person physically. And so in our day and age, the upkeep of relationships typically is through, you know, a phone call or text messages. And it it doesn't, with the pace of life, being in person with someone is fewer now than it used to be as far as experiences. So how can we, is there anything I can implement to help strengthen my relationships? In the book, we talk about something we call social fitness. And we use that term because it's kind of like physical fitness. It's something you work at and ideally you work at every day, every week. And what that means is nothing nothing enormous, little things like just sending somebody a text saying, hi, just thinking of you, wanted to connect. It's making sure that the people you want to really keep current within your life, that you make sure to see them or at least talk on the phone regularly you know, make plans to go for a walk or have a cup of tea or do something together, ideally in person. But if you can't, you know, I have a friend who who reconnected with his elementary school friends on Facebook during the COVID lockdown. And they've started having coffee every Sunday morning on Zoom. And they are thrilled. They are so happy. And this was a way of actively using social media to connect with people. And so that's another way, not, you know, what the research says is that if we passively like doom scroll through other people's Instagram feeds, we get more depressed, more anxious, our self-esteem gets lower. So that passive consumption of other people's curated lives, that's not a good thing for us. But active connection through social media can really help. 
to keep our, our relationships vibrant and our social networks active. Right. That's so that's a you you know, you talk about trying something new together. And I went to in person, but even just your example of someone reconnecting with their high school friends and doing, you know, coffee every morning through the screen, that is a wonderful example. For me, one of my goals is less screen time, more more people time. And I think that that can be very healthy. So, you know, send the text message. Let's meet here for coffee and be in person. And I I love that in-person connection so much. You know, we have a lot, a significant amount of younger listeners on our podcast who may not have found their significant other or the person they want to spend the rest of their life with just yet. They may be formulating new friendships. What is the most beneficial thing to look for in an individual when trying to find that? Or is it more that we're, we should look inward and look at how we act when we're with an individual? Or is it both? Well, certainly it's both. But in terms of what we what we look for in other people, well, I think it is. It's looking back at yourself. Do I feel like I can really be myself with this person? And do I feel like this person is genuinely listening and getting to know me? And do I want to get to know this person, right? And does this person's behavior match up with how they talk about things. You know, it's all that, you know, do they walk the walk, not just talk the talk? And how do I feel when I'm with them? Do I feel like I can really be me? Or do I have to turn myself inside out in some way to, to try to be something different than I am? Because that's going to be exhausting in the long term. Yeah. And and we, we've all had those relationships where they really are exhausting. And then you look back and think, you know, why did I make plans with this person? Why am I going to do this? This is not something I want to do. And then there are times we leave certain experiences with certain people and we feel full. We feel filled up and happy. And, and so our body and everything tells us that that is the right direction to go. Hey, guys, we're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back in just a minute. catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row dreaming of something better well hello fresh is your guilt-free dream come true baby it's me geeky palmer let's wake up those taste buds with hot juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi mm. hello fresh stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at hellofresh.com let's get this dinner party started Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. 
That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. And we're back. You know, it's just fascinating because it does feel like there's so many books on happiness out there. But what's different about yours is you have the statistics. You have years, decades of statistics. Well, and the other thing we do is we weave in life stories of real people throughout the book. And and so the names are disguised to protect everybody's privacy, but the stories are totally real. And they're And they're not all like happy ending stories. They're really stories that show all the different paths that people can take through life. And that, I think, is helpful because it helps remind people that, you know, there's no one right way to do life. And there doesn't have to be. And your your way can be your way. I was going to ask, is there one story that, not necessarily a favorite, but one that was most impactful to you that you obviously, please don't share the name, but that you would care to share with us? Well, yeah. I mean, one of them is impactful because it illustrates exactly what we found in our statistics. It illustrates that good relationships make a good life. This man's name in the book, it's disguised, but his name is Leo in the book. And Leo didn't have a glamorous life. He was a high school teacher his whole life, but he really liked his students. He really liked his colleagues. He loved teaching, had a good relationship with his wife, had great kids, loved teaching his grandkids to sail and and nothing special, nothing flashy, right? Just ordinary life that was really contented. And he prioritized relationships. The other one that that inspires me is there's a man in the study who felt he was never any good at relationships. And he and he had kind of a distant marriage and he didn't have any real friends his whole life. And then when he retired, he joined a gym and he found a group of friends. He he was like amazed that he found this group of people who he really hit it off with. They started realizing how much they had in common. They started doing things socially together. And he said, for the first time in my life, I feel like I have a group of people who know me and who care about me. And so it's just an example of the, the premise that we find that it's never too late, that even if you think you're not going to find love, you're not going to find friendship, you do not know that. And we have the stories to prove it. We wow. have the surprises to prove it. I mean, that's so inspiring because, you know, I have spoken with a few of my friends about how it is hard to make friends as an adult or it feels that way. You know, it's not the same grade school. Hey, you like this movie. So do I. Let's be friends. Right. There it becomes more complicated. We now have children. And so their lives are also a huge part of ours. And it's it is you start a new phase of life and you have to, you know, see if other people also match that phase of life. And it can be difficult. So many of our friends left the city during the pandemic. We're in Los Angeles. So many people left and 
moved to other places and are wildly happy. And that's fantastic. And we're wildly happy here. But now so many of our friends are gone. And so my husband and I are like, wow, okay, so we're in our late 30s. And now we have to try and make new friends. And that's terrifying. So maybe I should join a gym. <laughs> well, you know that what you should do, <laughs> what the research finds is that if we put ourselves in situations where we're doing something we care about or something we enjoy, if we do that with the same people repeatedly, we're likely to strike up conversations because you're doing something together that you have in common. Some of those conversations deepen, some of those conversations become friendships. It's why, for example, you know, you you have kids. I don't know if you have kids who've been in preschool and elementary school, but we get to know a lot of other parents because we're doing this thing together. We've got preschoolers, we've got elementary school kids. And that's where you find this kind of group of people who are going through the same thing and they share a lot. And you see them over and over again at pickups, at drop-offs, you know? And so, Similarly, you could find the things that you love. Maybe maybe you meet up with other podcasters for a while and just talk about, well, what's that like, you know? But you just find things that you care about that you have in common and and do them together. It could be volunteering in the community for a cause you care about. That kind of thing often works. It is such an interesting phase of life to start to make new friends and it's inspiring to hear about his story. And I watch my parents who are still together, happy, have a group of friends they travel with all the time. My dad's 75 and they are still thriving in life. And it is so wonderful to have that example and to see them not, you know, still with this group of friends, this travel group that they have met and decided to cultivate. Now, your story of the gentleman who meets new friends in the gym, it's never too late. And that's such a wonderful experience. Sometimes we think, oh, you make friends in school, in high school, in college, and then that's that. But there's so much more to it. <laughs> that's right. That's incredible. And the efforts can be small. If you just take small, regular efforts, you can do this. <laughs> Thank you. I'm going to have your words in my head as I continue to go. But so talk to us a little bit about when you were writing this book, because there's so much to fit into a singular book. I mean, what was that? What was that like years and years of statistics? I mean, were you, was it, I mean, I'm sure so exciting, but also a, a huge task. Yeah. Well, first of all, thank goodness I have my colleague and friend, Mark Schultz, who did it with me. We designed the book first with the help of a book designer. Essentially, it was almost like a storyboard that they do for designing a screenplay or a film, right? Where we laid out chapters. It was on a whiteboard with lots of sticky notes and we'd move things back and forth like, well, no, this should be in this chapter. And we designed a book that I don't think we ever would have written otherwise through this process of kind of brainstorming for a couple days, just nonstop. And then we came up with a design that ended up being what the book turned out to be. But then a lot of it was going back and saying, okay, what does the science say? What have we published? What have other research groups published? And then how can we explain this in a way, like we don't use any, well, we use a few numbers, but mostly it's not numbers, it's not graphs or charts in the book, It's it, but it's plain language because our goal was to put all this science into really plain language that everybody would find accessible. And so that was the really interesting task for us. Yeah, I'm sure. I mean, 
you want to make it applicable to all individuals and that can be difficult. Well, that sounds fascinating. And we're huge fans of your book here. Is there any last little bit you'd like to share with our listeners on the book, on happiness, on life? I mean, just anything in general that we can take. Well, I think just this idea of happiness, you know, we talk about it so much. Nobody is happy all the time. No life is happy all the time. And on the one hand, that's obvious. On the other hand, we can get the impression that other people have it all figured out. You know, if you look at Instagram feeds of beautiful beaches and beautiful dinners and you think, well, everybody else is having their best life. And I'm the only one who wakes up some mornings thinking, I don't know what I'm doing with my life. And, you know, and and everybody's like that. And so the truth of the happiness thing that we're all talking about is that happiness is a moment-to-moment event. It's almost an accident. And that what you can do is you can build a life that makes you more accident-prone. You can build a life that makes you more likely to be happy more of the time through things like taking care of your health, building good relationships, you know, that those kinds of things set you up to be happy more of the time, but nobody's happy all the time. And so not to worry that there's challenge in your life. Oh, that's such a good reminder. And one final question. Did you feel the experiment changed with the birth of social media? With did you Did you see others affected by it? Well, we're studying that right now. So we're still collecting data. And our, our current survey is we focus on the usual things, but we've added two things. One is what was your experience like during the COVID pandemic? And what has your experience been like with social media and online connections? And so I don't know the answer to your question yet, but stay tuned. Yeah. Okay. You're going to have to write a part two because it is a whole other beast. And obviously, so is has the pandemic been on all of us. So um, thank you for your wisdom. For what it's worth, I think that you are doing some of the most important work of our time. So thank you. um, And thank you for continuing the study and helping us understand what's worth putting our time into and what isn't. And honestly, it sounds cheesy, but for changing people's lives, because once you read this and understand this concept, it's easy to implement and you can implement it instantaneously. And how powerful is that? Yeah. Yeah. And thank you for having me here and having me, helping me get these ideas out there because they really matter so much to me. And I want other people to get the benefit of this science. You're welcome. All right. Well, thank you so much. I'm really grateful to have you on today. When researching for this episode, one of my favorite things was how I felt free to argue with Tanner (laughs) because the truth is we do argue and sometimes you wonder, is this something that's going to be beneficial or not? And so to be able to talk to Dr. Wallinger about this and also to read about it just reaffirmed, okay, what we're doing is healthy and I am actively trying to make friends right now. And so to have him give me some advice and talk to me about it and to hear that it's never too late is a really wonderful thing. And so, you know, being an adult and a mother and feeling vulnerable and trying to make new friends in life at this point can be hard. So I'm really grateful for this book and for this conversation that we had. So I hope you guys benefited from this and loved it as much as I did. We have another great episode for you coming next week. Until then, take care. (music) 
Directionally Challenged is a production of Pineapple Productions, hosted by me, Kayla Yule. Produced by Melissa DeMonts and Diamond Imprint Productions. Editing by Diane Kang. Post-production sound by Coco Lawrence. And production assistance by Melanie D. Watson. <laughs>